0: Welcome, we hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit christcitychurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Great, nice to be with you all. And uh, we are in a new series in Luke's Gospel called A Meal with Jesus. And the handout here has the passage. And we're looking at seven different meals that Jesus has and we're going to think why meals are so important in the life of Jesus and obviously we have a banquet coming up and we have a summer party so it's all sort of linked with this idea of food and community and mission and understanding grace through the meal time uh, through Jesus having meals with different people uh, so let me pray and then uh, we'll get on with our first one in the series Father we thank you uh, for Luke's gospel we thank you for all these meals that Jesus has uh, and we thank you that they're significant they're important they teach us about the kingdom of God uh, who's in who's out Uh, they teach us about your grace that uh, you came for those that were broken and uh, needed a doctor and needed healing Uh, they teach us today how to do mission to get alongside people to connect to eat to engage with normal everyday activities and uh, they teach us what it is to that you are involved in everything Whether we're working, eating, sleeping, uh, singing at church, whatever we're doing, you're involved in it all. And I pray, Lord, as we look at this amazing passage from Luke 7, that you speak to each of us. You'd give us a word, you'd give us an assurance, you'd give us a challenge, an encouragement, whatever we need today. Uh, But we wouldn't just be words uh, that I'm speaking, but your spirit would speak individually to each of us. In your name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever had one of those moments where your emotions took over and got the better of you against all your wishes. So we see it all the time on the sports field, people's emotions getting the better of them. So it's the World Cup. I remember remember back to the 2006 World Cup and... uh, in that, mo- in the World Cup final, there was uh, probably the maybe the greatest uh, player of our sort of last twenty years. A guy called Zinedine Zidane. He's now Real Madrid manager. He's just won three uh, Champions Leagues with with Real Madrid as a manager. But he was the captain of the French team at the time, and he famously headbutted uh, the Italian player right towards the end of this World Cup final. And even though he has the most glittering career and the most, one of the most skillful players that's ever graced the game of football, he will always be remembered for this moment. Apparently, the Italian player Maserazzi supposedly said something about his mum. Can you believe it? And uh, it's a classic schoolboy put down you'd expect a professional footballer to be able to deal with, but in the heat of the moment, because of the enormity of the occasion, the World Cup final, he headbutted the guy and got sent off, and it'll be an irretrievable mark on his career. But very often we have these moments where the emotions take over. Big occasions, obviously funerals are a classic example. For me, one of the days that my emotions took over was my wedding day. I was a sobbing mess. During the first song, as we were in church, I was blubbing uncontrollably like a baby, and don't even get me started on my speech. I cried four times, and my mates, who knew I was going to cry, had a sweepstake on just how quickly I would cry and how many times, and there were cheers going up as I started crying, They're like, yeah, someone was winning some money at the back of the, uh, of the hall. Um, but the bit that really got me most was the moment I had to thank my parents and my chin went wobbly, and my voice sounded like a 10-year-old girl's. And I completely lost it. It went very high because there was so much to say thank you for. And how was I ever going to do justice? I was 22 years old. How was I ever going to do justice to saying thank you to my parents who, had, in my opinion, had done a great job of ringing me up. Uh, but they'd given so much. And uh, words seemed inadequate, and I couldn't help but cry. So often, moments, uh, your, your emotions can take over in moments of anger, but also in moments of joy and ingratitude. And that's exactly the situation we're going to have today in the story we're looking at. But instead of a wedding hosted by my parents, it's a dinner party hosted by a Pharisee named Simon. And we're going to encounter one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. Um, It's a story of a woman who's overwhelmed by love, the love that Jesus offers her. She's never experienced a love like it before. It's a love that comes and uh, she experienced being completely forgiven and being set free by Jesus. And she has a very shady past, but it doesn't matter because of what Jesus has done. And she wants to come and say, thank you. And when she says, thank you, the emotions take over. Let's look at the story one step at a time. It's on your handout or on the screen. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So one of the local religious leaders has asked Jesus to come to a dinner party at his house. Now it's important for us to know what, what would have been the etiquette of a dinner party in, uh, in 2,000 years ago in the Middle East if we're going to understand some of the subtleties of the story. If I invite you to my house for dinner, what do I do? Well, I take off your coat, I put it on the stand, I offer you a drink, I turn the TV off, I give you the Wi-Fi code because you wouldn't be at home without my Wi-Fi code. That's normal and polite in modern day etiquette. What would you expect if you were invited to a dinner party 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. Well, you would have expected to be greeted with a kiss, have a servant wash your feet because of the sandals and the dusty Jerusalem roads. Then you'd have a sort of olive oil poured on your head. It acted like soap and was used much in the same way as you might talk about freshening up today. But Jesus has given none of these, you'll notice in that beginning of the story. He's not welcomed at all, but shown contempt. And it's deliberate and calculated insult. In their culture, no one would have missed it none of these things were given him. You see, the religious leaders in Luke's Gospel don't really like Jesus because he's not abiding by their rules and regulations. You know the famous adage, you can tell a person's character by the friends that they keep? Well, the religious leaders weren't very happy with the friends that Jesus kept He was hanging around with the wrong tights, the down-and-outs, including prostitutes. So far in Luke's Gospel, Jesus has been suggesting that to be part of the in-crowd with God is very different from how the Jewish religious leaders classed the in-crowd. They didn't like who Jesus was saying was in God's kingdom. And they start the dinner party with this calculated and deliberate public insult. And the tension would have been unbearable. You know one of those moments where someone says the wrong thing at the wrong time and you're not sure where to look? And this would have made matters worse. This is probably what the dinner table looked like that Jesus was eating at. So where do you look when something awkward happens? Because you're all facing each other. You're in this circular shape. You've got a cushion under your your left side. And you're eating with your right hand, your feet pointing away from the table. It's close. It's intimate. And so everyone, I imagine, was feeling pretty awkward that Jesus didn't get any of the normal etiquette and the kiss and the olive oil and 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 the washing of feet. What to say, where to look. And then things get worse. A woman in that town who'd lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So in walks this woman. She's famous in town for all the wrong reasons. And the way Luke puts it, we assume, we presume that she was probably a prostitute. Notorious for her actions. No doubt everyone in the room was used to seeing her on the street corners. Society in those days, and even by the way that Luke writes it, a sinful woman would have treated her the same way we often treat pedophiles in our day. Named and shamed and ostracized and put over there as those that are sinful. Mother Teresa once said, I've come to realize more and more that the greatest disease, the greatest suffering is to be unwanted, unloved, uncared for, to be shunned by everyone, to just be a nobody. I imagine that's how this woman felt. She'd never been accepted. She's always been on the outside, mistreated, laughed at, frowned upon. She's the sinful one. she has been made to feel small and pathetic and dirty and evil. There was no hope for her. And she was certainly out of God's good books, according to the Jewish religious leaders. But she'd met this man, mm-hmm. Jesus. And Jesus was a man who had treated her differently from every other man she'd met. This man welcomed her. He didn't frown at her past. Mm-hmm. In fact, he didn't mention her past. He didn't look at the, he never let his eyes wander to the scars on her, on her arms or whatever the modern, the, the ancient equivalent would be. He was gentle. His eyes were loving. And he want, his eyes were loving not because he wanted to sleep with her, but because he wanted her to feel safe. He never nagged. He never coaxed he never patronized, he never made sick jokes, and he never flattered her so he could use her for sex. No, he was kind, generous, welcome, gentle, respectful. And what is more, he told her that God had forgiven her, that God loved her, that God accepted her. No man had ever told her that before. And this man was going to be in town tonight, and she didn't care if he was going to be eating at the house of someone who rejected her, one of the Pharisees, because she was going to be there to say thank you to this man that she'd previously met, Jesus, who had changed her life. And she was going to bring a jar of perfume, maybe the same jar that hung around her neck on the street corners that, made, made, that helped her make her money, the same jar that would have made her smell nice from man after man. But this time she was going to pour it, the whole jar, worth a year's worth of salary, would have lasted her years on the streets, on his hands and his head as a way of saying thank you. A way of thanking the one person that looked at her and loved her, but didn't want to use or abuse her, but make her feel safe. And so she arrives early. She doesn't want to miss it. Now, she can't go into the main room because she's not one of the invited guests of the dinner party. So she has to watch from the courtyard. And again, this is probably the kind of house that Jesus was having a meal in. And you can see there's lots of different rooms to the side, and there's a courtyard where lots of people could enter and look in, but you couldn't go in to the actual room where the meal was happening. And then in walks Jesus. And to her horror, he's not honored, but humiliated. They're hostile towards him. They treat him with contempt. They publicly insult him. They treat the man that changed her life the same way they treat her, like a piece of dirt. And her emotions start to get the better of her. How can they be so rude to this man? Why don't they honor him? Why haven't they kissed him? Why haven't they washed his feet? Why haven't they dried his feet with the towel? She's in anguish because before her eyes, this beautiful person who set her free with a message of God's love for sinners is being publicly humiliated. And her anger wells up because she's powerless to do anything about it. As she starts to cry. Her emotions are mixed. There's anger at the hosts. But then there's this gratitude to Jesus and devotion. And she can't contain it any longer. So as they sit in their meal, their mealtime, having their food, their feet facing outwards, vital to understand how this whole scenario could have happened, she starts to wet his feet with her tears. And her tears start to wash away the dirt from his feet, the dust that should have been washed off by a servant as he entered the room. But she hadn't come prepared to wash Jesus' feet. She has no towel. So what's she going to dry his feet with? Well, she takes a clip out of her hair and it lets her hair fall down and starts to dry Jesus' feet with her hair. But in Middle Eastern culture, even to this day, in certain countries, a woman is obliged to cover her hair in public because a woman's hair is considered sexually seductive. In fact, often in Middle Eastern culture of that time, the first time a woman would let her hair down would have been on her wedding night to be seen by her husband for the first time. Here's a woman that's been with hundreds of men, we guess. I wonder if she's probably never let her hair down but she lets her hair down here because Jesus's feet need to be dried and in her frenzy and in her anger and in her gratitude she cannot help but kiss the feet and the Greek word is smother with kisses kiss again and again and again she cannot contain her emotions. And then she gets the alabaster jar and she pours a year's worth of perfume onto his feet. You can imagine the smell just filled the whole room. And the whole thing is done in silence. Because you see, words are inadequate when it comes to such devotion and gratitude and, the, and, and costly expression of love. No one said a word. Everyone's mouth probably probably wide open. Their eyes are popping out of their head. And the question is this, what's Jesus going to do? Will he be embarrassed or shocked? Will he reject her and scold her? If he is a true man of God, surely he would do that. But no. Jesus allows the whole episode to carry on without any shame or embarrassment. As before, whenever they met before, they must have met before. Jesus accepts her. So the narrative naturally shifts to well, Jesus has not done anything. What is the host of this dinner party gonna do? With this scene that's developing and must be embarrassing him as the host. Verse 39 When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You see, that's what Simon was always interested in. That's why he held the dinner party. He wanted to know, is Jesus really a prophet? Is he really a true man of God? Because he's not hanging around with the right type of people. He's not eating with the right type of people. And he certainly shouldn't have physical contact from these type of people, particularly a woman. Whose side is Jesus, Jesus on? That's what, that's, that's what Simon's all about. That's what he wants to know. Is he on God's side? Why is he hanging out with the outcasts? Is he a prophet? If so, he should have kicked her off. And sent her to the temple to pay for her sins. Because that's where your sins were paid for. But Jesus does none of those things. And he goes on to explain. Verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain lender. One owed him 500 denarii. Now, a denarii is about a, a, a day's wage. So it's like two years' wages. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50, so like two months' wages. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Now, if you're anything like me, financial talk can be complicated, like mortgages, tracker mortgages, boom, the house prices, interest rates, mortgage scandals. It can be complicated to work out, especially what it means to apply, how does it apply to me, and and we can feel helpless and powerless if you don't know how sort of financial talk works. But this is pretty simple. Jesus couldn't have been clearer. He said, look, there's two people that have a debt. One has an enormous debt, one has a small debt. But neither debtor could pay the moneylender or the bank back. They're both on the same playing field. They're both unable to pay. And the only way out for both of them is dependent on the generosity of the moneylender. And Jesus says, both of these people were let off. Both of them had their debts cancelled. Both of them received the undeserved generosity of the moneylender. Jesus says to Simon, now, in in this story, Simon, which of the two debtors is going to love the moneylender more? Well, it's a no-brainer, and Simon is trapped, and he knows it. Look how he answers, verse 43. Simon replied, I suppose. Like, reluctantly, he knows he's got to give the answer he doesn't want to give. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Do you see what Jesus is doing? The two people in his parable are the two people in this story. Simon the Pharisee and the sinful woman. And Jesus is saying to Simon, this woman is like the great debtor. This woman is the one who had the huge debt. Before God, she has done many sins. Before everyone, the whole town knows her sins. She's known as a sinful woman. She has done things she regrets deeply. She feels dirty. She, she feels the burden of shame. She knows the weight of guilt more than anyone else. And you know what? I've forgiven her. And I know, I've, I, know, I know that she knows she's been forgiven because look at this extravagant act of love and, thank you, and this thank you to me. So Jesus defends and confirms everything she's done and at the same time goes on to publicly insult Simon. He says, then he turned towards the woman. So he's looking at the woman, but he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. He defends everything the woman has done and insults Simon for his hospitality. And by doing so, he deflects the attention off the woman and onto himself. In short, once again, he protects the woman from the wrath of the Pharisees by bringing it onto himself. And you can imagine the woman going, He's going to get hurt for me, and he doesn't even know my name. But you see the point of the parable? In the world's eyes, you think the woman's sin is greater than Simon's sin, which is less. But in my eyes, Jesus says, You're both debtors, and neither of you can pay. But Jesus is saying to Simon, I'm willing to cancel your debt too. I'm willing to forgive you too if you will let me. So look how this famous dinner party concludes. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. You see, this dinner party is all about our response to God's forgiveness. On the one hand, you have the sinful woman. And she knows what it is to be forgiven. She knows that she had a big debt. And yet she's, she's found this freedom. She's found a joy. She has no need to cover up. She can enter the lion's den of the Pharisee's house, and she's a sinful woman. She can enter it with freedom and confidence because she's been forgiven by Jesus. She is known by Jesus in all her mess, and she is loved by Jesus. Have you ever met someone like that who has this kind of freedom, this kind of abandon? They're not covering up, there's no mask, there's no pretense. They've made mistakes, but they're not hiding. They know what it is to be forgiven. And then there's Simon, and he doesn't think he needs to be forgiven. He doesn't think he has a debt to pay. And if he does, he'll pay it himself because it's not very much. How dare Jesus say, I have a debt? How dare Jesus say, I'm a sinner? How dare Jesus say, I need forgiveness? I'm kind, I'm considerate, I'm generous. I'm the generous host of this dinner party. Or is he? Because as you read the story, he comes across as judgmental, rude, angry. He doesn't have the same peace, joy, and freedom this woman has. Even though he's totally respectable and hasn't done anything wrong externally, it's as if he needs to cover up and keep up appearances. So look, there's two people in the story. Look at them. One of them is male. The other's female. One of them is educated. The other is probably not educated. One of them is a homeowner. The other one's poor. One of them's respectable. The other one's ostracized. One of them is religious, they keep all the rules. One of them is irreligious, she's broken all the rules. One of them is moral, one of them is immoral. One of them is righteous, one of them sinful, in their own language. But that's the outside. When you look at the heart which Jesus sees, one of them is proud, and one of them is humble. One of them is judgmental, one of them is loving, one of them is cynical, one of them is generous. One of them knows the debt they owe, one of them doesn't think they owe a debt. One of them is trying to justify themselves through their works. The other one's been forgiven. One of them is resisting Jesus' love. The other one's experiencing it. One of them doesn't have any need to cover up. She can come as she is. The other one is trying to keep up appearances. One of them is kind, loving, and generous. The other one's judgmental, angry, and rude. Two stories, two paradigms, two people, two ways of relating to God. One of them is the way of religion. I have to make myself acceptable for God to love me. And the other one is the way of the gospel. Jesus accepts me unconditionally in my mess. I am a sinful man, woman, like this person. I'm honest about my mess, but Jesus knows me and he loves me and he accepts me. In other words, religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Simon, I have a respectable life, therefore God will accept me. The woman... I'm a mess, but God accepted me. Now I'm going to learn to obey him. Which story is your story? Don't say you've been a Christian years. Which story right now? Which of the two lists is you? You see, Simon thought he was in and he was out. The woman thought she was out. She found she was in. Which story is your story? Are you operating according to religion or the good news of what Jesus has done. You see, Jesus wants all our stories to be the sinful woman's stories. We need to admit our sin, not hide from it. But we need to know our freedom and abandon that comes as we know He's forgiven us. We can stop wearing masks. We can be honest. We can be honest about our failures, our fears, our insecurities, our doubts. It's okay. Jesus knows and He loves. So I can be free, not to pretend. Have you got this kind of freedom in your life? Can you tell people your real mess ups? Have you got friends that you confide in and say, "You know, I've had a shocker here, but I can talk about it because I don't have a need to cover up. I know I'm forgiven in God." Some of you come from lousy backgrounds, lousy parents. You were never affirmed like this. You were never loved like this. You were never accepted like this. Jesus, you know Father's Day. You didn't have a good father. Jesus says, "Come, let me let me set you free from all that emotional baggage because you feel like you were let down by parents." as you you can know an abandoned. this woman's life was a train wreck but she encountered my affirmation she was okay then let all that bitterness all that hurt all that frustration be gone as you know Jesus and his love some of you are sat here today going well yeah that's fine but God could never forgive me the things i've done the things i've said the things i've thought i'm too bad i should i should be better as well and not. Well, this story shows you you're wrong no one's too bad in fact the whole entry criteria to the kingdom of god is to realize yeah i am bad but i'm loved i'm a sinful man i'm a sinful woman and i'm loved he really does love you some of you here today and you're a christian but you look and you act and you sound like simon the pharisee and i know it in my own heart i don't say this in judgment on you but we can be judgmental. We can feel we have to cover up and keep up appearances and look all impressive and make sure we're saying the right things. What people think of us holds too, has too much of a hold on us. We lack this generosity. We can be rude and impatient with those that are different. We can be very sort of picky and, oh, I don't like this. I like that. And, 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 it, and it's all about us. And, and, and we're not this generous, kind-hearted woman like this, like this woman is. You always keep an account of, well, I give this much into relationships and I don't give that much back. And you, you're like Simon the Pharisee. Your Christian life doesn't look anything like this, woman's, this woman. Your faith is not characterized by this joy, this extravagant love, this devotion. Maybe you feel your Christian faith is stale. It's not a delight. You know, it's characterized by the phrase, do I have to versus I get to. You're always looking at the minimum. You know, the Christian life has become about boundaries. What's the minimum I can do to follow God? It's a Pharisee language. The Christian Christian language is the woman. How do I give away a whole year's worth of salary just to bless this guy who has changed my life? And do you know why you end up like Simon and not the woman? But what's the point of the story? What's the punchline? What's Jesus getting at? It's whether you know what it costs Jesus to forgive you is whether you know you had a debt. You see a Pharisee doesn't think he has a debt really? The woman knows she has a big debt. That's the point of the story. You need to be captivated again by the cost of Jesus's love. You see, this whole episode is actually a picture of what is going to happen at the end of Luke's gospel, when Jesus is going to protect people by taking all the anger into himself. Look at the story closely. First of all, the people are angry at the woman. And then the anger deflects onto Jesus and they become offended at him. Jesus picks up the flack for this woman. Jesus takes the attention off the woman and puts it on himself. In other words, Jesus is willing to get hurt, to be publicly humiliated. He's willing to be laughed at, scorned, spat upon, jeered, beaten, whipped, and nailed to a cross in order to bring people like this sinful woman and Simon the Pharisee into God's family. He says, I'm going to pay the debt. Whatever the world says about your debt, you're all in debt. None of you can pay it off, the debt of sin. I'm going to be rejected so you can be accepted. I'm going to be humiliated so you might never know shame again. The reason the woman weeps is she understands the costly love of Jesus. She knows her debt has been paid. Religion says whatever debt I had, it was small, and I can pay it off. I'm quite good as a Christian. The gospel says I'm an enormous debtor. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I have, nothing to, uh, I have nothing to offer God. Everything I have is but dirty rags. But I'm accepted by grace. Religion says I'm quite a good person. I don't have to be that grateful. I don't need saving. The gospel says I'm a wretched. I'm a wretched person saved by grace. And I'm so grateful for what Jesus has done. So the question today This meal is about two stories, two paradigms, two ways of relating to Jesus, two lives that flow out of understanding the gospel, that you have been forgiven a great debt that you couldn't pay back. Which paradigm are you operating out of? You can be a Christian for years and go, huh, I always operated out of the I obey, therefore I'm accepted, rather than I'm accepted, therefore I obey as we sing this last song, as we think about the cross again, as we sing, let God melt your heart. And you go, ah, Lord, I remember the debt that I owe and what it took for you to forgive me. Look how this story ends. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So let's sing. Let's respond in faith. And then let's go in peace because we know we've been forgiven. If you've never experienced God's forgiveness, I want to urge you today to realize, you know, I'm, I am a sinner. I've messed up. I've fallen short of God's glory. I'm deserving of his judgment, but I can be forgiven as I respond to Christ. And you can do that today. So let's stand. We're going to sing. Corey's going to come back. And we're going to spend a bit of time thinking about the forgiveness of God that sets us free. Let me pray as you stand. Father, we thank you for this amazing story. Thank you, Jesus, for your gracious invitation to all of us. Lord, if we're here today and we're taking offense at the idea that we're a debtor, Lord, just soften us again that we we all need your forgiveness. If we're here today and we are thinking, I had a lousy background. I didn't have this kind of affirmation. I don't have this confidence in my life because my parents were lousy. My dad was lousy. Lord, may we know what it is to have you as our Father through Christ. This level of affirmation and encouragement, acceptance. You know, in the, uh, in the previous worship time, uh, Corey's daughter came up to him just to offer him a picture, I think it was, and just had no sense of this isn't the right thing to do. There's an unabandoned, there's there just a fearlessness. We should just go to our Father and say, Look, this is this is me. Can I come and speak to you now? And I, I just encourage you to do that. Be yourself, be honest. If you know that your Christian life is all about the minimum and the boundaries and duty, and do I have to? Ask God now just to melt you again, melt the heart in you. That you might see what Jesus has done. If there's something you've done recently or historically that you feel has put you beyond grace, let this story remind you that nothing can. If you've never accepted Jesus and known that forgiveness for your sin, think about whether you want to. Are you going to be like Simon standing far off? Or are you going to be like the woman who enters in? So Lord, we thank you for this story. We pray that uh, we'd taste the sweetness of your forgiveness in our lives. We thank you at the beginning of the service. We, Leanne read from that famous psalm where David had really messed up. But he knew the sweetness of your forgiveness. And he prayed, restore to me the joy of your, my salvation. I pray, restore to us today the joy of our salvation again. In Jesus' name, amen.